I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! <laughs> Welcome back, y'all. Hey. Happy Pride, motherfuckers. Yes. Yeah, yes. so we straight up lied to you at the end of our last episode. We promised Tennessee stories, but we were like, you know what? No, it's Pride Month. We're going to celebrate Pride. And as the resident queer, I vetoed everybody and said, <laughs> I'm here. I'm queer. We're doing gays. Absolutely. Well, what was funny was it wasn't even your idea. It was Lori's. It wasn't. It was Lori's. <laughs> it was the straight one's idea. <laughs> yes. No, I... Uh... I don't know what got me thinking that, but then I was like, oh shit, it's June. We've already recorded the first episode. We can't not do pride. Exactly. Exactly. And it, but it is hard sometimes because I know that we're, um, we record kind of a little ways out from when they're released. Mm -hmm. So sometimes like we can't make it jive with whatever it is, but. And it is like the first week of June. So we're, we're still good. Yeah. Yeah. It won't be the first week of June when this comes out, but it is no. right now. <laughs> right. And it lasts it all month good. long. So exactly. Yes. Um, I wanted to say hello to any potential new listeners we may have gained. I gave both of my true crime tours at Elmwood Cemetery recently. Um, and I had some awesome folks on the tour and I told them about Cemetery Row. So I hope they're listening. If not, shame on you. I'm kidding. Um, but if you are, hi, welcome. And ain't easy. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you're out there in the Memphis heat sweating and telling people about dead people. And you're like, please listen to my show. And oh my gosh, it's been so hot with all this rain. The, hum- <sighs> the humidity has been just, oh. I did the second and- tour last night and it was miserable. Ugh. It was absolutely oh my God. miserable. Yeah. See, as, as a Southerner who moved to Chicago and has already done my first Chicago winter, I get to be smug about two seasons <laughs> because they think it's humid and it is really fucking nice. Like I turned up the air, I like bumped the air and like opened the windows in my apartment and I'm like, y'all, this is, this is the shit. Yeah. And they're like, aren't you hot? I'm like. I want to, it's that Southern instinct to be like, you think this is hot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's been miserable. I had to feed horses early today since we were uh, recording tonight. And I just, I, I had to move one horse and I just, I got on the gator and just drove over and (laughs) he followed along next to me on the gator. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't even, I can't even walk you from one pasture to the next. You're going to have to come along and walk next to the gator. I'm not not doing this. Though the city giveth and the city taketh. So I walked out to the outside door with Tabby to do our potty walk. And I just got hit with like, the smell of piss so i was like i i so chicago opened officially today like we don't (laughs) our restrictions are dropped we can we can go make mayhem and it Um, opened in other ways yes apparently bladders (laughs) were open as well um so nature is healing (laughs) oh yay Okay, so well, we're right. doing yeah. pride stories, and I think Lori, you were going to kick us off, correct? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, 
Take a walk through Congressional Cemetery in Washington, D.C., and you'll come across a number of famous historical graves. From John Quincy Adams to J. Edgar Hoover, there are even two Native American chiefs buried among the many historical leaders. One grave bears no name and is identified only as a gay Vietnam veteran with the epitaph, when I was in the military, they gave me a medal for killing two men and a discharge for loving one. This is, yes, this is the grave of Leonard Matlovich, an Air Force technical sergeant who was the first American armed service member to publicly come out as homosexual in a bid to fight the military's ban on gay ser- serving in the armed forces. Wow. So, Damn. yeah. That's a very <clears throat> famous gravestone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I learned a lot about it. Um, you know, as I was getting to the end of his story. So Matlovich was born in Savannah, Georgia oh. on July. Yes. Sheena's favorite place. Uh, on, yeah. <laughs> on July 6, 1943, he was the son of an air force sergeant. So he spent most of his childhood bouncing from base to base. His mother was a devout Roman Catholic. That's going to come back later. Oh, and definitely always. both he and his sister were raised in the Catholic church. Um, he spent the majority of his young life in the South. I think, uh, either South or North Carolina was where they, uh, spent the majority of their time. And as we know, the South doesn't really care for gays. Um, nope. Uh, so at age 19, Matlovich joined the air force and he volunteered to go to Vietnam. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he was all about it. He served. He understood that he was gay by then. Like he wasn't. Yes. He, so, um, I read some articles that like when he was young, like a teenager, he had some, you know, self-hate going on. Right. And he didn't have his first sexual encounter with a, another man until he was 30. Um, but I think he knew most of his life that he was not, attracted to women right he, um okay yeah because so, a lot of them think no i'm totally straight right no i think i think he internally knew uh right. but he finally kind of stepped out of that box when he was 30 okay. um Good so for him. he he volunteered and served three tours of duty in vietnam jesus yeah he earned a bronze star for developing a lighting system that made it hard for North Korean snipers to hit base personnel at night. Oh. Um, and he also would repair that, that lighting system when they were under attack. Um, okay. And that, so because of those efforts, he was awarded the bronze star. And he also received a purple heart after he sustained severe injuries um, while clearing landmines near Da Nang. Oh, Danang, wow. however it's pronounced. I think it's Da Nang. Yes, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> it's one of the, you know what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so following his third and final tour in Vietnam, he volunteered to teach Air Force re- race relations courses. Oh, um, yes. He had, you know, growing up in the South, he had seen not only how the South viewed uh, gay people, but also people of color. Um And these courses had been developed after there were several racial attacks in the military in the 60s and 70s. Um, Matlovich was so successful at his job that the Air Force actually sent him across the country to train the other instructors on how to teach this class. Amazing. So he was he was good at this job. Um, 
And it was while he was teaching these classes that he came to the realization that the discrimination that gays were facing in the military mirrored those of the racial discrimination in the early days of the military. Right. Um, It was also around this time that he came across an interview with gay rights activist, Frank Kameny. I always mispronounce that name. So I I wanted to make sure. So Frank Kameny uh, in the Air Force Times Magazine. Kameny, who uh, was known for providing guidance to other gay military personnel, was actually looking for somebody with an exemplary record to come out publicly as homosexual to help fight against the military's policies regarding gays serving in the military. Um, So, Matt Levitch called him initially and got this information, didn't really do anything with it at first. He thought about it for a year because he had a lot to think about, mm-hmm. um, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, so about a year after he initially had that conversation with Kamini, he, uh, he called him back and he said, I'm your person. I'm going to do this. So they got together um, and were joined by ACLU attorney, David Adelstone. They spent four months preparing what he was going to do. Um, on March 6, 1975, Matt Levitch hand delivered a letter to his superior officer announcing that he was gay. And according to a time magazine article that was printed around this time, his superior asked him, quote, what does this mean? And, and Matt, so, so Matt Levitch replied, it means Brown versus board of education. So citing that historic case, segregating schools, this is what this is going to mean for the military. Um, So going back a little bit that year before he moved forward with this, he had to consider the consequences of what would happen if he volunteered. And what year was this again? This was 75. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. So he, he had been out to his close friends since he had his first sexual experience at age 30. Um, but his mom and dad did not know that he was gay. Um, can relate. Right. (laughs) Well, so he spoke to his mother on the phone and this is just my favorite part and being the devout Catholic that she was, she blamed his gayness on him, not praying enough (laughs) <laughs> or it oh, was punishment for something she had done. What, the, <laughs> what sense does that even make? Oh, pray oh. the gay away. That it's, was yes. Yeah. No. Oh, and your kid being gay being a punishment. Oh, right. Oh, do Absolutely. I have some just, experience with that one? Mm. It's just utter bullshit. I mean, yep. yes, it was a different time. Yada yada yada. But right. at the end of the day, you love your kid no matter what, no matter. Right. What what era you grew up in. Uh, anyway, she refused to tell his father. She was just so wound up about it. Um, so it wasn't until, uh, Matt Levitch's New York times cover story ran on Memorial day of that year that his father learned that his son was gay. And Uh, they ran that shit on Memorial day. (laughs) Right. So, um, balls on that editor. Yep. So it seems, but it seems like his father eventually came around uh, from what I read. He was upset at first and I don't know how to take this quote. Like my mind, I take it in a really dirty direction, but maybe his dad (laughs) didn't mean it this way. But according to Matt Levitch, once his dad finished, you know, crying and being upset, he said, quote, if he can take it, I can take it. 
end quote. So, of course, <laughs> my mind's in the gutter, but <laughs> he probably meant, you know, oh, if he can take all the outrage right. and all this stuff. But in my head, it's, you know, it's a little perverted <laughs> what his dad's Ex-military saying. military man, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I don't I know. I know how my dad would say it. So. <laughs> Um, so, okay. And now here's my other favorite part of the story. So following his announcement, the air force being the dicks that they were, and maybe still are immediately begin discharge proceedings. Oh boy. So at the time there was this clause, this exception clause, uh, that was referred to as queen for a day. Oh boy. Oh boy. So, under this clause, if a serviceman had a spotless record and claimed that this homosexual encounter they had was a one-time thing, an mm-hmm. oh, that's still a joke in the military. Or, Before, or <laughs> yeah, you you get one was the is the joke exactly, yeah. or uh, was it's they, changed, but I'm yeah. sure it still is. But yeah, that was you know if if you were drunk or you weren't thinking and something yeah. happened, then you know you might not get discharged if you have a stellar record of service right and you're not you know you don't make a habit (laughs) habit yes (laughs) so so here we go so during the proceedings matt levich was asked to sign a statement swearing that he would never practice homosexuality again okay so now the name of my (laughs) punk band is going to be habitual cocksucker and i'm very sorry (laughs) (laughs) So here for it. <laughs> and that was he'd have to sign this if he was to remain in the Air Force. Right. He refused to sign. And they initially were planning on giving him a general discharge. So right. um, it's so a general discharge is not dishonorable. A dishonorable but it's one not is, honorable. Either. Right. Right. It's like uh, so a dishonorable is like if you were charged with a felony. You right. You, you fucked up. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the general discharge meant that Matlovich would not have access to any benefits of the GI Bill. Right. And he um, wouldn't get his pension. There's a lot they don't there, get. Yeah, there, there, there were yeah, yeah. They, they were there were certain things he would have access to, but there were other things that he right. would not. So he would have some of it, but not all of it. Yeah. Um, his base commander fought against that general discharge, and the Air Force finally agreed to grant him and honorable discharge due to his exemplary service in tours during vietnam which means he gets everything right so he he did receive that he was officially out of the air force in october of 1975 just seven months after coming out to the world so they did not fuck around uh they just said okay bye right so so after this he immediately sued for reinstatement and the case dragged on for five years damn um but in september of 1980 the u.s district court ordered that the air force were to reinstate matlovich and give him a a promotion oh so instead of so instead of him accepting a forced reinstatement by the the courts he he wound up accepting a settlement from the air force that would award him one hundred sixty thousand dollars based on back pay future pay and pension Hmm. and he figured this was 
the best option for him because the Air Force was going to find another reason to discharge him again. Right. And he would just be antagonized and treated horribly. Absolutely. When he got in there. So Mm. it it wouldn't have been worth it for him in the long run. So um, his case led to significant media exposure, including a cover story in Time magazine and a TV movie starring Brad Dereef, who we know for his role as the voice of Chucky. I'm oh, sure. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Okay. So, so, yeah. so he was Matt Levitch. Um, and so Matt Levitch used his fame to help gay rights groups fundraise and fight against discriminatory legislation, including Anita Bryant's efforts to overturn a gay non-discrimination ordinance in Miami, Florida, mm-hmm. and John Bryant's efforts to ban gay educators in California. Yeah. yeah. Same song. Second yep. verse, same as the first. Yep. yep. So in addition to these battles, he also fought for adequate treatment options and education for those living with or at risk for HIV and AIDS. Oh, good for him. So, and, and that would lead on into the future. So after battling what he thought was a prolonged chest cold, Aww. Matt Lovich himself was diagnosed with HIV AIDS in 1986. Bless his um, heart. He passed away on June 22nd, 1988, just a few weeks shy of his 45th birthday. Oh mm. man, that's young. Yes. Favorite part right here though, y'all. And at karmic what I consider a final fuck you. He <laughs> chose to be buried on the same row as FBI director J. Edgar Hoover. Nice. Oh, <laughs> Hoover. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, preach. I love it. Yep. Yes. So his life was cut tragically short, but his legacy does live on most yeah. notably at his grave. Told yeah. you a little bit about it earlier. Um, it has often been a site for LGBTQ rights activists and is also included in an LGBTQ Veterans Day memorial service. Um, in 2010, a vigil was held at the grave by members of gay rights group Get Equal, um, which was around until about 2018. Um, and it included Army Lieutenant Dan Choi and Army Staff Sergeant Miriam Ben Shalom. Um, following this vigil, the activists chained themselves to the White House fence in protest of the military's don't ask, don't tell policy. And they were arrested, of course. Um, yeah. It would be... So this was in November of 2010. In 2011, they finally did away with Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Yes. Took them fucking long enough. Yeah. Um, Yeah. um, His grave also serves as the starting point for the annual Pride 5K run that's organized by the D.C. Frontrunners, Washington, D.C.'s LGBTQ Walking and Running Club. Um, The race is celebrating its eighth year this month. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to include a link to the event webpage in our show notes, because um, as most 5Ks have been the last two years, it's it's virtual. They are doing a face-to-face meetup that was actually held, uh, I think today, June, June 12th, they were doing the actual. Tomorrow's June 12th. Tomorrow's June 12th. What day? Today's the 11th. Eh, Close enough. I don't know what day it is. Anyway. So, so, okay. (laughs) I I thought of. So it's tomorrow, tomorrow night, which is June twelfth. So this is, you know, this was on June twelfth, and the, but the event runs. <laughs> I'm screwing up. Okay, y'all. No, they, no, no. They're they're You're doing good. events, virtual events through June twentieth. So yeah. 
the link will be there so you can check it out if you're in dc you yeah know, go and send us pictures because i think it it sounds awesome yeah yeah um, and i think we'll all let's all pick uh uh sheena me and you to uh a lgbt charity in our area to yeah. to put in the show notes mm-hmm. to for sure yeah to um support okay so going back so in 2019 matt levich was also included as one of the 50 inaugural gay rights heroes included on the national lgbtq wall of honor at the stonewall national monument um so he he was honored that way and um you know there's a lot of stuff i left out like when he got out of the air force he went and bought a pizza place and ran a he ran a pizza restaurant for a few years sold it moved to Europe, went oh, to visit wow. the grave sites of, uh, of famous gay couples throughout history. And Wonderful. Kind of, he, he actually started having the idea that we needed to have an LGBTQ m- memorial. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's really nice that he was included in that since yeah. he, you know, kind of first thought of that back in the early 80s. Um, Good for him. Something that needed to happen. When so, if- yeah. <laughs> you just... <laughs> Your cat. I'm sorry. She's got, the, she's got the zoomies. So she's been and, running by every yes. like every yes. minute. Like and I'm, there goes Gwen. I'm the in beauty a, of Zoom chats. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm in a studio now, so she can't like zoom me in another room. We're all right. in the same room. So she's mm-hmm. gonna zoom me where I am. It, Apologies. Okay. No, <laughs> um so so I'm almost done, y'all. So I'm gonna end it no. because this is just so sad and but so inspiring. Um, with his final public speech that he gave during the march on Sacramento for gay and lesbian rights on May 7th, 1988. So yeah, not very long before he passed, he right. said, and I want you to look at the flag, our rainbow flag, and I want you to look at it with pride in your heart because we too have a dream. And what is our dream? Ours is more than an American dream. It's a universal dream because in South Africa, we're black and white. And in Northern Ireland, we're Protestant and Catholic. And in Israel, we're Jew and Muslim. And our mission is to reach out and to teach people to love and not to hate. Oh, I like that. He's so cool. Yes, that is the, the, the inspiring, but, you know, also sad story of Leonard Matlovich. Yeah. And like as a military brat, my dad's active duty in the Navy. um, My oldest nephew is active duty in the Air Force. There's a lot of changes to the culture, but it's still there's a lot of toxicity. There's a lot of. But at the same time, there is a lot of joking about it, too, Mm -hmm. at the, you know, um, the joke for submariners people who go in submarines is you know a hundred men go down 50 couples come up um <laughs> you know it's, you know my, my dad was on a mini sub when he was in oh, the Navy. <laughs> maybe ask him some questions <laughs> um maybe you don't want to know i do so, you let me know up next Lori's day <laughs> oh lord <laughs> right but i mean with the transgender ban that we just got overturned and a lot of people don't realize that the military was segregated until the 50s mm-hmm. i mean it was it's the military is 
a very conservative organization. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, they were having, you know, white supremacy is a problem in the military ranks with a lot of white supremacist groups specifically telling their followers to go into the military to get that training mm-hmm. and to proselytize. So yeah, it that is a hard and then women in the military, that's a oh, whole God. other yeah, that's yeah. The, yeah. Well, because it you know, it's been so recent that you know, there's been several that have been killed while while serving. Yep. Right. I mean, and I believe it's just recent that women can serve on the front lines mm-hmm. and that for the longest time, you know, wasn't a possibility. And I remember talking to a recruiter in high school. Um, because I went to a poor high school, so they recruited us heavily. Um, and they were like, I was like, well, what if I went to serve on the front lines? They're like, females can't. And I was like, well, fuck y'all. I wasn't going to anyway, but fuck y'all. Because yeah. um, I watched G.I. Jane and was inspired. Um, so, <laughs> the oh my God. So, I, being the token gay... Um, G.I. Jane was like one of those movies that I watched as a youngin and was like, huh, huh, <laughs> something's going on here. <laughs> that and Clay Duvall in the faculty. That mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I like watched that movie over and over and was like, hmm, well, this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think she awakened a lot of things in a lot of people in the 90s. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. She was. Uh, geriatric millennials that we are yes. I was like <laughs> and then in college I watched but I'm a cheerleader and I was like oh <laughs> there it is she was <laughs> oh bless it she was like the token lesbian in all those I know. movies it, except for the faculty that was like right. the one that she was the straight character I'm like up oh, every movie it, can't exactly. hardly wait she had a little cameo and she was she was a lesbian and can't hardly yes wait. Just, I love it bless her heart she, she, she's either goth or lesbian and i love both so it's absolutely great. absolutely <laughs> yeah okay uh next all um, right speaking of lesbians who may or may not have been goth um <laughs> i don't know <laughs> nice segue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um so are you going or am i i've already forgotten you'll go I'll, okay yeah i couldn't remember who went next <laughs> i'll go um, so I learned a lot about our subject, my subject, Jane Adams in high school from history teacher extraordinaire, Mr. Larry Osborne. I have mentioned Mr. Osborne before. Um, I recently learned, sadly, he did pass away in 2014. Aww. Love and light to his family. Um, I hope wherever he is, he is sitting on a uh, cabinet in a classroom somewhere in suspenders. <laughs> in high pants <laughs> swinging his legs as he talks about fun facts from history that Yay. is what i hope for him so may he rest in peace so yes. instead of starting the, the textbook from the beginning like every history class that i've ever been in had done so you get to about mm, the revolutionary war and then the year's done and that's all you learn mr osborne cracked open our textbook right in the middle and he started from there he put handwritten notes on the overhead projector and talked to us. Okay, so explain explain to them the projector, my oh, dear, ba- my dear sweet babies. Oh. So there were these machines called overhead <laughs> projectors. And they used a mirror and a light bulb, and they were big, and they projected whatever was on the glass 
case onto a screen behind your teacher. So our school got a little fancy in that he could print or he could copy his handwritten notes onto the clear paper that she would use on that. So he didn't have to write it directly mm-hmm. on the thing. Our math teacher had one of those rolly ones where you yep. could write on it and then, yep. oh yeah, look, we were high tech. Okay. So <laughs> that is an overhead projector. I can still smell the light bulb. Uh-huh. In the pr- oh, yep. it's <laughs> just, times. it's Good such times. a sense memory, but he had printed all of his notes, handwritten out onto these blank sheets that he put on the projector. So he would put his notes on there and he would talk to us about World War I, the Jazz Age, the labor movement, and all sorts of other topics as we feverishly copied out what he had written for us. Um, he also showed us a video of Mussolini getting hung. So that <laughs> My history teacher showed us the very slow-mo of JFK getting shot. Yeah, yeah. And like Look, they kept, and they no. kept, and all the kids in my class were like, show it again, show it again. Yes, so we, we really same. watched no. it. Oh, a girl in my class. Hi, Bridget. Um, <laughs> watched the we as we watched the video of Mussolini falling down off of the scaffolding, and he looked like sloth from the Goonies. So <laughs> We were sitting in a darkened classroom watching this very serious black and white. And all of a sudden, Bridget goes, oh, you guys. Oh, my God. <laughs> Y'all, that, that is so unfair. My history teacher, she, she like she was so anal that she's like, make a little asterisk. And then she'd read you what she wanted you to put in your notes. Yeah, and you had wow. to do that. And then she had uh, some coach come in to talk to us about getting saved in Jesus. Oh, this, God. This, this bastard. And I went to a public school, y'all. This I bastard. Did I. We, we, goes, we all were. We're all public ladies. He goes, you know, I believe that if Hitler asked for forgiveness and let God into his heart, Fuck he would him. be in heaven right now. And I'm like, oh. dude, he, and this asshat wound up marrying one of his former students. So that's my Ooh. history class for you. <laughs> There is a the story related to that that I will tell off the air, but um, <laughs> we are not getting sued today. But I will say, yeah, we are here school, spilling small town tea. <laughs> I, I will say this much my school was the one that um, we ended school prayer. A mom, oh, yes, a mom sued I remember our school that. because we had school prayer every morning. So we're the tiny little school that we're the reason you don't have school prayer anymore. My mom's boss, because she worked for the school, was on Oprah. <laughs> oh, wow. I love it. <laughs> anyway, back to your story, back Hannah. You, yes. yes. No. So <laughs> side, side conversation. Side but. convo. But yes. Um, God, now I'm just thinking of that. Bridget. Fucking <laughs> Hey, you guys. Hey, can we just say to shout out to all the Bridgets in school because every Bridget I knew, I have a feeling, I don't know about y'all, but every Bridget I knew could, yes, she would probably kick my butt behind a convenience store if I just ran up on her today. Like, yes, Bridgets don't play. No, they give no fucks. um, (laughs) Her her first child was actually born on my birthday. So I have a soft spot in my heart for this particular Bridget. But we continue. Yes, sorry. sorry. Jane Addams. So one thing Mr. Osborne did leave out about Jane Addams was that she was a lesbian. Now, I don't know if he just didn't know. I don't know if he thought maybe I ought not tell these children this uh, because I don't want their mamas and daddies calling me. Or maybe he just didn't consider it important. 
but I learned it and I was very happy to learn it. So Adams had two long-term same-sex relationships and she was inducted into the Chicago LGBT Hall of Fame in 2008. So we're going to talk about Jane because Jane was a badass and I fucking love her. So... Uh, and just a warning for our more right-leaning um, listeners, you're not going to like uh, my entire story. So, sorry in why, advance. Why they probably these... won't like any of our stories. Oh, I know. Gonna say, they're they're going to see pride and just be like, fuck this. I wouldn't but... think they would like any of our episodes so far. Yes. Right. So this we, know, we know where, we know where the door is. Exactly. So this is going to be Goodbye. pride with a dash of commie. So have fun. Cool. Have at it. Strap in, fuckers. Okay. <laughs> Jane's resting place is at the same place where she entered the world. At her family's farm in cedarville illinois which is about two hours west of chicago she was born september 6th my mom's birthday 1860 (laughs) not the year my mom was born um the math wouldn't work right (laughs) she was the youngest of eight children and attended the rockford female seminary seminary that's a word now rockford college in rockford illinois which again is like an hour outside of chicago it's just west um, Rockford, you've probably heard of. It's one of those um, outside of Illinois. Aren't they? Aren't they the Rockford Peaches? Or am I wrong? That was, you know, they might be. We'll we'll double back. Like like the Rockford. You know what I'm talking? The, the a league yeah, of their the, own. The women. Right? Oh yeah. Aren't they I the thought, Rockford Peaches? Were they not in Georgia? I don't know. It's we'll me. we'll come back to that. We yeah. will. Anyway, get back to Miss uh, Jane. Yes. So Jane's early twenties were marred with traumas including the death of her father a nervous breakdown an intensive back surgery from a lifelong back injury she had from having tuberculosis in her spine which is a thing that can happen which i didn't know and was terrible and she failed out of medical school we've all been there yeah so if you're in your 20s right now and everything sucks it's okay yeah (laughs) you're gonna be fine yeah I know it sounds cliche, but it does get better. Your 20s are your worst. Ooh. Yes. Everything feels like the biggest deal in your 20s. It's not. You'll be fine. Just keep going. Yeah. Um, Jane wasn't going to let that slow her down, though. Jane was a voracious reader and wrestled with the role of women in social and political movements. Reading about settlement houses, which oddly enough started in Russia, which I guess isn't odd because they were Soviet at the time, um, sparked her next venture, which would lead her into Chicago. So uh, settlement houses were community-centered spaces that provided education, arts, and other enrichment to poor communities in the surrounding area. Her settlement house was called Hull House. Um, at the time that it was created, it was Hull-House altogether. It's since been separated into two words. H-U-L-L, sure. correct. Yes, H-U-L-L. The house relied on middle-class college-educated people to volunteer to provide education, food, daycare, and other activities and services to the surrounding residents. This also offered an opportunity for college-educated young women to work and learn in an era where middle- and upper-class women who didn't join a convent couldn't do that. So in this era, even if you went to college, which at this point, sending a woman to college, like we discussed with um, Glesner Lee, was basically to find them a good husband. It mm-hmm. wasn't for their own. They weren't. They didn't have careers. It wasn't. You know, you could have. Uh, what's the point of having an educated housewife? You know, right. So it. They. So you're getting this group of women who are college educated, and we're having the first 
middle class in America. So they don't necessarily want to go straight into marriage or want to go into maybe a, they want a little bit of time before they settle into what it is they're going to do. Um, so this gave them the opportunity to do that. And in fact, the most educated people like in other, you know, the centuries before it, were people who joined the convents or joined monasteries and stuff like that because they did get access to books. And if you're in a convent, you didn't have to worry about getting married and having babies. You could just do service and learn and, and study. So that was and it's also uh, convenient for some gays to go into the religious services because then they get a pass on getting mm -hmm. married and stuff. So keep that in mind. Uh, settlement houses like Hull House provide a neutral ground for collective action and set the groundwork for mutual aid societies. Groups could come together to discuss community issues, brainstorm solutions, while also providing a way for members to get their basic needs met. Um, it's hard to be a striking worker if you have a starving family at home. Mm -hmm. And the corporations are betting on that. Yeah. So having these mutual aid societies means you can do the hard work of striking, of labor stoppages, of whatever you need to do and still have your family fed, um, which is terrifying for the capitalist ruling class, but we'll yeah. get there. Collective action and mutual aid would become the bedrock of social activism in the future, including groups like the Black Panthers. A lot of people forget the Black Panthers started free lunch programs. They started breakfast programs. They had daycare. They helped yep. Black-owned businesses get by when they were having tough times. Um, so there's a really good podcast. Uh, Behind the Bastards did a couple episodes on the bastards who killed Huey P. Newton. Um, and then I think the black Messiah, I haven't watched it yet, but everyone said mm -hmm. that's an extremely good movie. I want to um, see it. Yeah. So the black Panthers are an extremely interesting organization. You should definitely look into them and don't believe the FBI yeah. founded in 1889, um, which was whole house was founded in 1889. Adams envisioned it as a place for women in an era where women's place was in the home, either her father's or her husband's, this provided another option for women looking to break out of societal expectations and find their own potential. Whole House housed up to 25 women, and they would conduct studies and investigations into a variety of topics that affected the community, including midwifery, truancy, tuberculosis, housing, and sanitation, all parts of the human experience we still struggle with in our modern society. So when people talk about science and they talk about medicine and they talk about there's still so many things that we they test even now they test medicines on white men. So how medicines work in people of color how medicines work in women we don't know because they don't test on us yep um and for the longest time history all of these things was through a white male lens so mm -hmm. you weren't getting what the actual problems were in the communities that were being underrepresented um so that's a really important thing of when you look back on history and you know History is written by white men yep. <laughs> and it's written with the intention, whether they know it or not, because I'm, I don't think all historians are nefarious, chauvinistic white male supremacists, but I do think unconsciously they write it in order to fulfill their own power fantasy, which is that they're on top and they've always been on top. And this is the way things are now or the way things have always been. Right. And that's not the case. Yep. Um, so 
again, we're getting there. (laughs) (laughs) As the facilities expanded, so they went from just the house, which had 25 people in this assortment of places, um, you know, rooms and stuff. They started to get more buildings. So these included a night school for adults, clubs for older children, a public kitchen, an art gallery, a gymnasium, a girls club, a bathhouse, a book bindery, a music school, a drama group, and a theater, apartments, a library, meeting rooms for discussions, clubs, an employment bureau, and a lunchroom. Yeah, I want to live there. I no know. shit, right? And so, <laughs> really cool. Well, and think about it too of like all of the things that you don't have access to when you're poor Mm -hmm. especially in a time when those things are expensive Mm -hmm. so again we come back to history being by written by white people it's also written by rich white people because that's who had access to printing presses that's who had access to these things so it really opens up and democratizes access to all of that stuff and it also feeds them clothes them house them gives them fellowship which are all important things so adams views viewed art as an extremely important part of children's education balking against the idea that education should be fitted to labor needs and not to creating a self-actualized person and we see this problem still today in modern education where it's that push and pull between should we be teaching them useful skills or should we Mm -hmm. be enriching them as a whole person if i hear one more time my school didn't teach me that where the fuck were your parents thank you thank you your school is not supposed to raise your child ask your parents how to do your fucking taxes you mongrel i shouldn't say mongrel that's not nice you dipshit (laughs) google it google is free literally and i have been doing my tax and i am not a math person and i've been doing my taxes by myself every year since i was 18 and i have not fucked it up it's not hard you're just being an asshole so but that's the thing is like and i've run against it too where i've seen people of like oh you need to major in something practical you need to major in something Mm -hmm. practical why well because now we have debt out of our asses but that's not our fault Yep. But we see this in modern education where classes and other sources of, of enrichment not directly tied to the generation of capital face the chopping block. So STEM, 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 STEM. STEM is great. If you want to go into STEM, I am so fucking happy for you. I could scream. We still need art. We still mm-hmm. need music. We need fucking marching band. We need the drama club. We need all of those things. It's not the the idea that school is to make us good workers. Just I don't like it. I don't like it. The the near West Side neighborhood where Hull House was set up was a mixture of German, Jewish, Greek and other immigrants. So that was she was very big on the immigrant experience and really making, you know, bringing them into the fold. Whole house emphasized a democratic and egalitarian principle when making decisions within the house. And that later became the basis of, you know, when they would kind of take on the establishment and these things. So you would have a whole group of immigrants together, all different backgrounds, all different languages. And that is the thing with Chicago that I really, really love is people aren't merely, you know, coexist that you say coexist they're not tolerating each other you are up each other's asses so you have no choice (laughs) 
you're going to hear different languages. You're going to see people of all different colors, races, genders, everything. And you are just going to have to fucking deal with it because they're here, you know, and they're not going to stop because you're being a dick. That's what the suburbs are for. Go out there. <laughs> Someone in the, from this, I lived in the suburbs for a year. I get to say that. <laughs> Somebody else who was like, fuck you. Well, fuck you too. Her work emphasized the idea of social ills. So the problems that plague not just individuals, but entire communities and required a systemic approach. So the idea of social ill was like something, you know, Americans being Americans were very individualistic. And well, he's drunk and not feeding his family. That's his problem. Well, no, it's everybody's problem. Yeah. And the sources of why he's an alcoholic and why his kids aren't getting fed are problems that the community can solve. And it's not, you know, it's not simply his kids should starve because they had the bad luck of being born to a drunk, you know, Mm -hmm. which people in this day and age still have that attitude. And I'm like, you're talking about babies, but okay, go off, Karen, go off. (laughs) Um, Adam supported labor movements and though never publicly, she did support prohibition as she saw alcohol as a segue into prostitution, domestic violence, and other social ills, which a lot of the prohibitionists, especially the ones who were women, fought for prohibition because they were sick of their husbands getting drunk and beating them. Mm -hmm. And at that time, domestic violence was not against the law. Right. And that's what we talk about with social ills of like the domestic violence, for example, is not a family problem. It is a community problem that the community needs to address. So like I said, we're still having these conversations on like in our society. There's like one, some of the discourse has been around spanking children and it's like, well, I was spanked and I turned out just fine. I'm like, well, you think hitting kids is okay. So maybe you weren't, maybe you didn't turn out okay. Mm-hmm. And I say this as a kid who was spanked. So, I mean, it's just, you know, we still have these discussions. Well, it, it's their kid. It's their right to do whatever they want. Well, no, your, your kids are people. They have rights yeah. too. They're not, yeah. they're not property. Um, and this was a time in history where kids very much were still property. Yeah. So she worked her work domestically to create a society that supported families, communities, and individuals to reach their greatest potential. Wasn't the only movement she would spearhead because no, 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 not our girl. She was not content to just sit on her laurels and not do shit. Adams was a leader in the peace movement globally advocating against imperialism abroad and interventionalist policies. Um, she called war a cataclysm that undermined human kindness, solidarity, and civic friendship and caused families across the world to struggle, which is true story. This put her at odds with the U.S. government. This was during World War I, of course, um, which is another one of those. We probably should not have been there, but yeah. we were there. And we kind of meddled when we, we shouldn't have on that one. As we do. Um <laughs> So the U.S. government, other patriotic groups, leading to her expulsion from the Daughters of the American Revolution. Oh, boo-hoo. She was exiled from the Daughters of the American Revolution. Poor thing. I bet she was really not all that sad. Right. Her goal was positive peace, which strives not just for an absence of war and violence, but for a global society built on justice, cooperation, the quality of relationships, freedom, order, and harmony. And frankly, I can get behind that. Um, we shouldn't just merely not be fighting with each other. We should be working together. And 
you know, Alex Jones is somewhere like he just got a tingle in the back of his neck. (laughs) He's screaming loudly at his oversized son, but sorry, Alex. In 1931, she won the Nobel Peace Prize for her efforts for global peace. So props to my girl, Jane. Mm-hmm. Jane had two long-term relationships, as we discussed. The first was with Ellen Starr, whom she started Whole House with, and Mary Rosette Smith, who she also met through the Whole House, and with whom Jane lived until Smith's death from tuberculosis. Tuberculosis ruins Ugh. everything for poor yep. Jane. Yeah, she just she just can't. God you can't escape it in those times. No, it's everywhere. Absolutely not. You can get it in your spine. Oh. Oh. Yep. <laughs> Oh, I just can't. That just fucked me up. I was like, yep. God damn. Oh, bodies. Ugh. I know. What's up Last with that? podcast is doing the bubonic plague series. Oh, cool. And I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <I can't." laughs> like, this is interesting and I like it. But oh, God, stop. Yeah. Stop talking about gross health things that are going to make me paranoid. Like, is that an ingrown hair on my leg or am I like? A plague rat now. <laughs> didn't you? Didn't you? Um, WebMD your symptoms one time. Yes, and it told and you it you had the. Did plague? tell me I had the plague because it's when still I my get favorite story, when I get sick, my lymph nodes swell, and that is just a common reaction that my body does to let me know all is not well. Um, and so yes, I either had the plague or cat scratch fever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, it's neither. I have a cold, but thank you. <laughs> Well, at least it didn't tell you you had cancer. That's what happens does, every time. It does give me that. Yeah. yeah. Lymph yeah. nodes swollen, lymphoma. I'm like, well, fuck you. How yeah. about that? Before Jane's death in 1935, uh, the Archbishop of uh, the Washington, D.C. Episcopal Church offered to bury her in the National Cathedral next to President Woodrow Wilson. Mm. Jane passed on the offer and was instead buried at her family's cemetery at her family homestead in cedarville illinois that's lovely Um, yes jane's legacy continues she basically the entire field of social work came from her work at whole house Mm -hmm. um a lot of modern like i said mutual aid community organizing all of that started with these settlement houses and with her work and with her you know just saying everybody comes to the table everybody gets a voice and we're all going to are you okay Shane? mcduff is sitting up here by me so i was taking his picture but i'm <laughs> looking <laughs> at you <laughs> he's really cute right now okay post it on instant tag me <laughs> i will see that's what i'm telling you is we need to do a twitch because our animals are worth the price of admission yes um, but so yeah so a lot of her of the bedrock that our community organizing is built on is built on a lesbian from illinois and i'm so proud of her because she took being in her 20s and shit just going foobar and was like you know what (laughs) fuck you i'm gonna change the goddamn world and god damn it she did and like i said she was she was um entered into the chicago lgbt hall of fame in 2008 um very proud of her and i'm sad that at the time when i was a young in the closet queer baby my junior year of high school that i did not know that this awesome lady was also gay but that's okay mr osborne wherever you are 
Oh, <laughs> and I did look it up. Yes, uh, I did a side goog, and it the Rockford peaches were from Rockford, Illinois. Oh, so well, there we go. Cool. They were one of the two teams to play every season of the All American Girls Professional Baseball League. So I love it. It's really amazing to me how many social movements did come out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was a suffragette, of course. Um, so she was she was just amazing. But yeah, a lot of social movements started here, um, especially labor related. Um, and a lot of different things like that. And I think it's just maybe more so. I think New York did have, of course, as strong as immigrant population as anywhere else. But there was something about Chicago in particular, I think, especially after the fire where it burned down and we basically got to start from scratch. I'm like, okay, what are we doing going forward? You have all these ideas and all these new, you know, ways of thinking and ways of doing, and not to mention all of the, industrialism that was up here um it was a huge food processing place so if you're gonna have a labor and we all read upton sinclair's the jungle i was just about to reference that that was another thing my history teacher had me yes, do and, and i'm did. pretty sure i was the only student who read it well in my entire class and the, it was awful the great thing about the jungle and thank you mr osborne was yes we get stuck on there's people in the meat um, yeah. but Upton Sinclair's whole point was, look how shitty these workers are getting treated. Yes. This is not good. No. Um, and I will like at the very beginning of the pandemic, I was listening to a lot of Rachel Maddow talking about the outbreaks they were having in meat processing plants in mm-hmm. Colorado and North Dakota mm-hmm. and Indiana and the people in charge, not only ignoring it, but basically making it illegal to check. Right. And see, you know, and these again are immigrants coming in to do this work or at very yep. least migrant labor. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I kind of said with Lori's second verse, same as the first, mm-hmm. we never really seem to learn. But a lot of this, you know, again, we've been through this before. We've seen this before. Um, I was interested in Jane Adams' anti-interventionalist kind of thinking when it would come to World War II. Now, she died in 35, um, which was before Hitler came to power. Um, so whether she would still have it, which leading up to World War II, our policies towards Germany were not great. Not to mention for a lot of the beginning of the war, we were funding both sides. Mm-hmm. Not that we have ever done that ever since. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't sell arms to people killing each other. We don't. That's yeah. not a thing that we do, especially not ones in Nicaragua who kill nuns. We don't do that at all. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> Reagan. <clears throat> but who is not in heaven with my dear, sweet history teacher? He is in a bad <laughs> place. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, that I'm, I'm interested and I'm going to have to do some reading of like how she would kind of view how we entered into world war ii the excuse was pearl harbor of course um but we were turning jewish refugees away um and frank was on a boat to come here it got turned around and she got sent back and she ended up dying in auschwitz Mm -hmm. so you know i'm gonna have to read some more into that i'm very interested in you know kind of 
what scholars think her thinking would be with that. Um, so, but yeah, very interesting lady, Nobel Peace Prize winner, all around badass and lesbian to the day she died. And Heck you yeah. love to see it. Heck yes. yeah. Go Jane. She did so much. And I hope you guys like that happy story because next time's going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a, a happy story. Get ready to party with my story. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of sadness, but for the most part, it's a party. I love it. All right. Picture it. Savannah, Georgia. Woo! <laughs> That's why I made the face, Lori, earlier, too, because I was like, wait, are we doing oh. the same person or not? No. Savannah, Georgia, 1994. Author John Barrett's, and I hope I'm saying it right. I kind of don't care. New book called Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil has just hit the stands, and it's an instant success. The novel, it's a nonfiction novel, um, which we'll get into that later. We'll get into that. Okay. We get into that. Okay. (laughs) I'm not I'm not gonna jump in like I did last time. (laughs) We're getting into that, trust me. The the nonfiction novel is a New York Times bestseller for 216 weeks following its debut. Oh my god. And remains to this day the longest standing New York Times bestseller. I mean, it was good. Wow. It wasn't that good. It well, I think what in my opinion. I am a salty as, bitch. But. As someone who's reread it, it 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 is written well in that it feels very gossipy. Mm-hmm. And oh my god, oh, look yeah. at that one! You know what? It's fun to read. It's fun mm-hmm. to read. Oh so, yeah. Anyway, I can see that. Yeah. Anyway, the the novel, if you have never read it, and I I think you should. Uh, there are issues with it, yes, but it, I mean, it is a very good book. It's not my favorite, but it's good. It's good. It tells the story of a Savannah antiques dealer who murders his lover, who is a young, violent male sex worker. And that was a big deal because the murder took place in like 81. And um, this outed this very rich um, socialite in the city. And it um, is Kevin Spacey at his fucking <laughs> creepiest. Yes. Yeah, we'll get to that too. Yeah, (laughs) this and seven. I'm like, we should have seen it. We should have seen it. Absolutely. Um, So everyone falls in love with the city of Savannah and its colorful citizens, but audiences fall in love with one character in particular, and that is the doll, the Grand Empress, the Lady Chablis. Yay! So the Lady Chablis. it's so easy to say she was a black drag queen, but she didn't like labels like drag queen, transvestite, which was a, a lot of that the, ter- was the that, term. That right. was the term of the time or transgender. Mm-hmm. Um, but she does use them. Like I've seen a lot of interviews where she uses that terminology. And I think it's because that's what everyone else would right. use to understand her. Right. Um, in a 1997 interview, she called herself a female impersonator, but she said it wasn't to make fun of women, but to salute them. Um, she said, women got the power, baby, being in touch with my feminine and masculine sides. I know the feminine side is where the power is overall. Yeah. Overall, she mostly wanted to simply be known as the lady Chablis. I love it. So Chablis, Chablis was born Benjamin Edward Knox. Um, on March 11th, 1957 in Quincy, Florida. That's near Tallahassee. 
Pisces. Uh, Her parents weren't around very much at all. She was mostly raised by her grandmother, Anna Anna Mae Ponder, and her aunt, Katie Bell. That uh, she did live with her mother and stepfather for a little bit as sort of like a young preteen, um, but they beat her for being feminine. Oh. Um, she would often seek refuge at her neighbor Connie's house, who supported her sexuality. Um, she said she was the first openly gay person she knew in her hometown. She described herself as a little girl with candy, just as the Lord instructed. Um, she was really religious and she called her penis, her candy. Oh, okay. So she was a little girl with candy, just as the Lord instructed. You know what? All right. I'm here for it. Um, she said she never paid any mind to what society thought, whether she was a child or as an adult, she just, she was herself. She began, began cross-dressing at 14. And then at 15, she started performing at the Foxtrot Gay Bar in Tallahassee. A Ooh, drag queen. Good name. Right? A drag queen named Miss Tina DeVore uh, took Chablis under her wing. And she moved to Atlanta with Tina in the 70s. And throughout the 70s and 80s, she's sort of just living her best life. She does a little bit of drag, but she's mostly kind of working your everyday normal jobs restaurants stores you know having boyfriends doing her thing whatever uh she moves to savannah in the late 1980s she resumes her drag performances um and she performs at club one which is a drag show or drag club in savannah it is still open to this day um she performed there on its opening night in 1988 and she regularly performed there until her hospitalization in august 2016 So she was always, you could almost always catch her there. I love it. Um, She would MC, she would lip sync, but really she was famous for her hilarious monologues. She's really a comedian above anything else. And she said her monologues were semi X-rated and not for anybody who is into Disney movies. Oh, wow. (gasps) Which I love. love, Which I love. If you've seen them, we'll get to the movie, but if you've seen the movie, you've heard her jokes um, well that's part of drag routine like if you've watched yeah. drag race i mean it's it's like the reads yeah i mean that's part of their th- of the drag routine is just getting up and just reading the audience and whoever yep. else to filth and it's yes wonderful and she was see. amazing at that um she was not interested in so she never had any kind of sex reassignment surgery okay she took hormones to grow her breasts and she liked that it made her skin softer and made her voice more feminine and she joked all the time about her candy (laughs) um she loved to tease um shy white boys in the audience by saying things like you know do you like chocolate or do you like chocolate with nuts? <laughs> so she's really cute. Oh. Um, here are two quotes about who she was. And I just, I found these so positive and um, confident that I thought I'd share them. She said, people would comment on the way I looked as a female. And I like that. It made me comfortable on the inside. And one thing I believe in with any human being is if your soul and spirit says it's the right thing, then it's the right thing. Into it. Yes. And she pretty well lived as a woman, like on and off stage. She was 
she she presented as a woman yeah Mm -hmm. um but here's another quote she said i have no intentions of being a woman that's not why i live my life i love me i love me just the way i am the only thing i do to increase my female look is that i take estrogen pills for my breasts i'm 51 years old and i've always lived my life like this and i always will but it's not because i want to be a woman i don't know what that would be like do Um, you think she would maybe be non-binary I could see that. I think she really loved being both masculine and feminine. I kind of right. like, I think she liked having breasts and then having a penis. Like, I think yeah. she kind of liked it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but she, I just, yeah, yeah. I mean, we can't speculate on right. yeah, yeah, but that, I wonder if that language was more. Uh, yeah around that time if maybe that might be something she had identified with. Maybe I would love to everyone uses her pronouns as she right i would love to know what she would have preferred i really don't know but that's how everyone has always and that's how she described herself was i mean she i mean she never said my pronouns are but right and well even in 2016 we weren't having that conversation right right um she eventually did she was using the name brenda dale knox in sort of her everyday life Mm -hmm. but i also heard that she did legally change her name to the lady chablis so legally her first name was the um and this is what she said about she has so many good quotes y'all this is a woman who has so much personality i mean i love it it's worth watching the movie alone just to see her she's just who plays her in the movie she does (gasps) we get to that okay Okay, it's been a minute since i watched it so i I love it i love it dearly creepo kevin spacey was the only Yeah. So this is her quote. She said, this is the thing about me during the daytime. I'm Brenda Dale Knox. I'm Brenda Knox during the daytime. And I put Chibli away. Chibli is my job. That is how I make money. She gets on my damn nerves sometimes, but she gets it done, but I'm not Chibli 24 hours a day. I like it. Yeah. Yay. She, she used her nicknames like the doll and the grand empress of Savannah. She said that the oh. doll was her fantasy character. So by the time all right we're gonna talk a little bit about midnight in the garden of good and evil so by the time it comes out in the early 90s um it's this huge hit and the book covers jim williams killing danny hansford Mm -hmm. and his four murder trials and his four murder trials that's a record for the state of georgia no one's ever been tried that many times for Mm -hmm. one murder jesus um and he was eventually acquitted so the book details these adventures that he had with all these colorful Savannians like Chablis and a voodoo priestess named Minerva, um, an inventor who wanted to poison the water su- supply and kept flies on leashes, a man who walked an invisible dog, like all this kind of stuff that is true. Um, but it he does take some creative license. It is a nonfiction novel. Thank you, Truman Capote, for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, a lot of the stuff in terms of the trials, all that's true. But there, there are several things where, like, no, they never really hung out there or whatever. The author wasn't there for that event. He just recreated it for the book. But either way, you get what I'm saying. But yeah. Chablis was really the breakout star from this book. Um, and so was the city of Savannah. Two years after the book was released, the city's tourism increased by 46%. And Chablis was featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, and Oprah. 
And two years after the book came out, she published her memoir called Hiding My Candy, the autobiography of the Grand Empress of Savannah in 1996. Her publisher described it as a cross between the color purple and Cinderella. Um, It is great. I suggest you read it. There is an abridged version on like, you'll find the audio book abridged but it's worth it because she narrates it so i I love to hear her talk she has the most beautiful accent and it's oh she's just amazing um but she said she didn't write the book just for herself but for people like her and one of my favorite parts is that it includes all these like glamorous photos of her in these beautiful dresses including one of herself as sort of a scarlet o'hara type southern belle with a white maid Ah! And she said she, I saw an interview where she said she wanted to do one where she was in a dress and all these white people were out in a cotton field, but they decided to do that other one instead. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, Shibli, you should have done that. Um, And she also, she was a good cook. So the book also includes some of her favorite recipes, including Brenda's kicking chicken. Oh, so in 1997, Clint Eastwood directed the 1997, I just said that, movie of the same name. Chablis had no acting experience, but she insisted on playing herself. She said if she couldn't play herself, the movie wouldn't happen. So Clint Eastwood, and and that's true. No one can be Chablis. No one. I'm sorry. No No one. Best part Um, of that movie. Yes. Clint Eastwood being the director explained some things that I had issues with. Because here's the thing. The book may be a little inaccurate the movie is ragingly inaccurate like it the the part about jim williams killed danny hansford true cool right that's the only but that's it that is literally it because they changed the time of the year that it happened like he killed him on like may 2nd 1981 but in the movie it's like at christmas yeah um they make a lot of gay characters from the book straight like joe odom in the book i think everyone knew he was gay um but in the movie he was straight and and dating this other woman and um the writer himself was um shown as straight and he's gay and like things like that clint Um, eastwood straight washed something shocker right for the record clint eastwood can suck my dick yeah same (laughs) i don't don't have much for him but um but it's a fun movie to watch but like like there's a a character who is in the book and in the movie and i think this is one of those it's just flat out inaccurate I don't think she was around for any of it. I think she died in the seventies before any of this stuff ever happened. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well, just that we're in there then, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, all right. Anyway, I don't think too, that Chablis McDuff, you're on a bit of cat jail. <laughs> He's trying to knock stuff over. Who else has the zoomies tonight? Uh, Chablis never testified at any of Jim's trials. I don't think, um, but in the movie, like you see her, she has this information about the murders, whatever. Anyway, Chablis is made famous by the book and the movie. She spends the rest of her life performing, touring, making appearances in documentaries and TV shows. Uh, she was in a 2012 episode of Bizarre Foods America, a 2013 episode of Real Housewives of Atlanta, and the 1999 movie, TV movie, Partners. Um, she was also, um, she won a lot of drag pageants. 
So here are all of her titles because I think these sound awesome. Miss Dixieland, 1976. Miss Gay Ooh. World, 1976. The Grand Empress of Savannah, 1977. Miss Sweetheart International, 1989. Empress of Atlanta, 1996. Miss Cosmo USA, 1997. Miss Garden City, 1997. Miss Atlanta Universe, 1998. Miss Georgia National, 1998. And Miss Southern States USA, 1998. I love that. I love that. She's beautiful. She has these amazing dresses. Oh my God. She's amazing. So Chablis was the headliner for Savannah's first Pride Parade uh, or festival in 2000. She hosted their uh, Miss Gay Pride pageant. Uh, She performed at a lot of Pride events and she donated to many LGBTQ charities. So she really did the most for herself and for everybody. Wonderful. I love her. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so she died on September 8th, 2016 of pneumonia mm-hmm. in Savannah. She was just 59. Oh. Um, a few months later, on November 5th, the city sort of had a little memorial for her. They showed Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil at Savannah's Lucas Theater of the Arts. And um, they featured a special tribute to her. And they also had her gowns on display in the lobby. Um. A reception was held at Club One afterward, and they hosted two Lady Chablis tribute shows. Um, so Laverne Cox um, was heavily influenced by Chablis, and she said, the first time I discovered the Lady Chablis was in the film version, version of that best-selling novel. I was captivated seeing an actual Black trans woman in a major Hollywood motion picture killing it. I then found my way to her memoir, Hiding My Candy. I read it cover to cover in a day. She was salty and brash in her stage act and represents a generation of trans women entertainers we must never forget. Rest in power, the doll, the Lady Chablis. And I'm so, looking, her style is so power 80s. Yes. Oh, yes. The yes. hats, the feathers. <laughs> she oh. is, I mean, she's impeccable. I just adore her. Um, here's a thing that is very sad. And this goes against everything I stand for in this podcast. I cannot find her grave anywhere. <gasps> I don't know if she was buried or if she was cremated. I have no clue. I'm guessing her family probably is keeping that private, which I understand. I understand, yeah. Um, so I will say this instead. If you ever go to Savannah, and I think you should, they have incredible cemeteries. Um, they say that Bonaventure Cemetery, it's better to be dead and buried in Bonaventure than alive anywhere else in the world. And I agree. Um, we are going to talk a lot about Bonaventure at some point. I just haven't uh-huh. got there yet. And then I also love Colonial Park Cemetery. It's one of the older cemeteries in Savannah. It dates from like 1750 to about 1850. And what I love about it, <laughs> and I swear to God, it's true, y'all. Um, when there were Revolutionary War soldiers and civil Union Civil War soldiers in Savannah, Uh, they would take refuge in Colonial Park Cemetery and they decided to use the headstones there. This goes against everything I believe in, but it's hilarious. They used them as like target practice. Oh, And they also um, defaced them. So if you go to some monuments in Colonial Park, you'll see where it says like someone lived 149 years or... um, they died like or their 11 month old baby died um 
before like the dad was even born or something like this is how you get generational curses don't do that (laughs) you know or that so-and-so lived a thousand and something days like it's it's wild um well and too it's really cool though to see i mean her legacy you know we talk about cemeteries and we talk about tombstones but her she has a living legacy so yeah in her honor go to a fucking drag show go to drag amen amen support Um, your local drag queen always so yeah and like i said if you want to go see some beautiful cemeteries they are uh there are several in savannah um but also go to club one because it's still there um last time i was there which was like two years ago they had a um some artwork in a window dedicated to her um because i think i mean she's kind of like you know that was like her home club and right absolutely um, yeah so it's just it's she's amazing watch the movie i know the movie's problematic and inaccurate but watch it just for her she steals all of these scenes away from john cusack and Mm -hmm. kevin spacey and all this yeah she just uh, she is just delicious i love her she's the best part of that movie she really is she's really the only thing i remember clearly oh yeah oh yeah i mean she she does it all Mm -hmm. um i wanted to end with two quotes of her uh hers so one of them is she wrote in the epilogue of her book if you see my life as i do you realize that it's been one big metaphor for that journey to the human state of being known as respect and her catchphrase which is excellent life advice as well two tears in a bucket motherfuck it no (laughs) (laughs) i love it so yeah salute to the lady chablis she is a true doll and i'm so sad she has passed yeah yes that was no she just had pneumonia it was so far as you know it wasn't related to hiv or aids or anything like never that. heard anything about that now she okay. did have a drug problem too mm-hmm. which may have um she did speak in her book about um having issues with meth but you know a lot of yeah it's you it know happens. there are yeah. a lot of um risk factors for hiv and aids but she never talked about it so i don't guess so yeah yeah now was um, her family because i know in the book i remember a it, where she's explaining how she got her name was that her mother had a baby that died and she said mama i'm gonna be chablis and her mama said you're chablis so was her family supportive i think eventually yeah um there was a a section in the book where yeah she said that her mother had miscarried yeah and her mother was going to name that baby like la quinta chablis and so she stole it and said well i'll be chablis right um because she got it off of a wine bottle (laughs) <laughs> and hey you loved know it. yeah i'm i'm here for it yeah and she did talk about like going to like a family reunion and everyone would call her benji which that was her nickname from being benjamin edward knox right and mm-hmm. she'd be like no 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 i'm brenda or i'm Shabli, yeah i could see you know. benjamin to brenda yeah yeah i can too transition. yeah that's why i said her dead name there at the beginning because i'm like right. she kind of held on to it and she seemed to say it very naturally and very right you know but i mean mm-hmm. i would never have called her that obviously right That's not her yeah name. absolutely right but um but yeah she she I, I, I noticed too that she had some sisters that she left behind and you know it's interesting i've seen people when they talk about her obit and this is something that i think we are still battling now um 
you would see her dead name used right. in her obit. And I'm like, Absolutely. no, 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 that's not her name. And I don't know if that was the fan. I don't think that was family, but I think that was right. people trying to do that to her afterward. And I'm like, dude, that was not her name. Her name was a lady Chablis in a story. Right. Like, or or yeah. Brenda, you know, but yeah, I was like, that's, that's crazy. Right. Yeah. There was an episode of disappeared. One of the later seasons where it was a transgendered um, woman and she went by Sage, but her mm-hmm. family still called her by her dead name. Yeah. So the narrator was like, well, look, this is what the family calls her we're you know we're we're split the difference here yeah um mm-hmm. but yeah that's that's a hard 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 thing to deal with especially it, it's like that journalist thing of where we have to weigh the sensitivity of the situation with mm-hmm. well technically they were born x y and z yeah they just changed their name later you know yeah. and so it's that's yeah that's a hard needle to thread but my my mindset has always been who the fuck cares right what you want to be called exactly that's who cares at the end of the day yeah if you want to go by a boy or or a traditionally male name or a traditionally female name you want to you know who cares well and we had it's a a similar oh i'm sorry go ahead it's just insulting to that person Absolutely. You know, that they, this is the name they have chosen for themselves and they have every right to do that for someone to call them by that dead name. Exactly. You know, on and well, purpose, on purpose, mm-hmm. not, you and know, we accidentally. Had, we had a conversation on my Facebook page of where, and it's in the same vein, but not really of my new boss doesn't like being called ma'am. Mm-hmm. It makes her feel old, which I understand yeah. completely in, in the Midwest. Most women don't want to be called ma'am and having grown up, southern i'm so used to that so Mm -hmm. you know i was like okay and well there was a discussion of like well it's just manners i'm like it's not manners to call somebody something that they don't wish to be called exactly because of what i feel like yep is appropriate so that's i really broke myself of calling women ma'am while Mm -hmm. i'm here in the midwest because they don't like it. So it's not about what's important to me. My ma- it's not good manners to call somebody something that insults them, regardless of, of how I feel about it. Yeah. And my boss, you know, she kind of jokes with me. I was like, do you, cause it feels weird when she says, do you have a minute to just say yes and not say yes, ma'am. I was yeah. like, that feels like I'm being sassy. And she's like, I know that you don't mean it that way. So you're good. I was like, okay. I was just like, it's, it's a hard thing, but you know, with the pronoun discussion, with the name discussion, if people want to go by it, it is nothing to you. Right. Right. Call them what they want to be. They're not just like people getting offended when you ask, Hey, what are your pronouns? They're like, Oh, I'm like, I'm not making any assumptions about you. Boo-boo. No, no, no. And then one of the things I love about my new job is that in our Zooms and in our email signatures, we put our pronouns mm-hmm. and that's, yeah, and honestly, even in a not that situation, when I'm emailing an Ashley or a fucking Sean or, yeah, you have no idea. I don't yeah. know, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, or if it's a name from another culture where I don't know if this is right. a male or a female name. You know, this is helpful because I don't know. <laughs> you yeah, know? I mean, that's we do that at work too. And when I made they made my cards because I'm like the newest one at my job, right? Um, 
when I got my business cards made, I'm like, we need to put pronouns on there because right. Absolutely. It just makes sense. But that's something that I'm straight cisgendered me. I'm so for some reason, like moved by is people who say, this is who I am. I'm not male. I'm not female. I'm not gay straight you know whatever they're making who they are as Mm -hmm. themselves and maybe there's not a word for it yet kind of like Chablis like I don't know what her preferred was she preferred to be called the lady Chablis right that's not male female nothing that's just her and Mm -hmm. so I just think that is a beautiful beautiful thing to say I'm not what you expect I'm not what is traditional I'm something wholly unique I just think that's so cool and she always did that and she always you know, expect the unexpected with her. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's such, such a good, as, as somebody who was conflicted for, and even still, you know, conflicted about their queerness, to be told from the very get-go, you will do X, Y, and Z if you want to be normal. Right. These are the normal things. And then from a very young age going, I'm not normal. Yeah. And having that conflict, especially growing up in the rural South, again, I graduated with 45 people. Yeah. Not normal was not, not only did they not like it, they would beat it out of you. Yes. Yeah. Like you had to be destroyed if you were different. And it's so frustrating because luckily my parents, my dad especially, have become a lot more open-minded in their old, which, you know, is usually not the case. Right. Like my son, he likes to get his toenails painted like mommy. He occasionally plays with Bonnie's dolls and it's like, like, it's fine. It's fine. Right. Let him play. Like yeah. we're going to get pedicures on Monday because right. I'm go. I want to get my feet done and I'm going to have him with me. So I got to let him get his done. And it's yeah. like, it, let him be who he wants to be. Yeah. Who cares? If exactly. masculinity not- is so fragile that nail polish can break it. I know there is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's- and it's interesting to me too, to just looking at Chablis story and how, you know, you have over here, Jim Williams, who is very rich, this huge Mm -hmm. member of society, um, knows all of the big wigs in town and rubs elbows with them all the time. fucking asshole. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) he really was. Um, And everyone sort of knows he's gay, but no one talks about it. Right, right. And when he shoots his young, very young boyfriend, who is literally sleeping with everyone else in town because he is a sex worker right um and when he shoots and kills him i mean they say in the movie he killed the best piece of ass in savannah like you know it's <laughs> you hate to this, see it and, and a lot of people were it. mad or a lot of people were mad that he I killed was fucking that man too damn yeah, i mean <laughs> come on now which danny was no saint but he right. sure didn't deserve that either but oh. either i don't know that it, it's so complicated that's yeah. why i did not want to focus mm-hmm. on them i'm like i want to focus on the happiness yeah. in this story yeah but i got to the end of that book and was like i fucking hate everybody yeah there's not a lot of there's some bad people in there i mean even the jim williams can come get some too because i'll fight him too yeah i mean like even jim was trolling for younger men younger well at some point before he met danny 
the funny TikTok I sent you guys that, you know, happy pride to all of the music directors at the Southern Baptist <laughs> yes. churches. And we're all like, yeah, yep. mm-hmm. we know the lifelong bachelor in our town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but it's just interesting to me how Jim was not outed until this happened. And then it was this whole societal thing of, is he going to have people come defend him as like character witnesses in his trials to say, well, yeah, he was gay, but he was a good man. Right. And like them having to hide his mother um, so she wouldn't hear in court that he was right. gay, things like that. And then you have Shabli over here living her life. And a, murder, just, a murder is fine, but don't you dare be gay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. That was really it. It was, and that's one thing they talked about in, in the trials too was are you put are you judging him for his sexuality or are you judging him because he shot and killed somebody? Right. And it's so there's so much more to it. And it's like there was an, a a couple in Memphis that I wanted to cover um for Pride, but their story is is violent too. And I didn't want to cover violence. Right. I wanted right. to spotlight someone who, you know, she Joy. paid her dues, she had right. it rough um she she was harassed and people did make fun of her or discriminate right. against her i'm sure for being being black but also for being feminine right um, there were some really scary stories in her book about people judging her and like calling her names and she didn't even know what they meant yet things like that right but she ended up she just it's like something just switched in her and she's like this is who i am get over it right. and i yeah. love that yeah and she she was herself and and I love that more than anything. Like, please don't ever be like anyone else. Please be yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, and that's, you know, not to be Saturday morning special about it, but that's really the thing is whatever you are, be Mm -hmm. that. Yes. It's fine. You know, if your family doesn't support you, I'm your family now. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's whoever you want to be, be it whoever you want to love. As long as you're consenting absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 18 plus, you're an adult. Yep. And as long as your other your partner is go is fine with it, do whatever you want. Kink whatever kink you have, do it. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. It is none of my damn business what you do. As long as you're happy, I don't care. Right. That is I wish more people felt that way instead of being so damn concerned about oh, you're going to hell because you And let uh, me tell you, nobody uh, thinks more about gay sex than straights. Yes. Oh my god, right. Obsessed with gay sex. And I'm like, y'all That's that's what I told my mom. Gay people go to Home Depot. Gay people go get coffee. They live just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. Like there's like I have I work with um, tons of gay people at my new job and they just have the most mind numbingly mundane lives. Yes, exactly. It's not. And I know straight. I have straight friends who are freaky deaky and I'm like, I then do your thing. I support you. I love you. Please be safe in your, your dealings. Yes. Have a safe word. That's, you know, thing. So, I mean, it, you know, and it, it just comes down to mind your goddamn business. Exactly. That's, that's exactly it. Me and mama talk about this all the time. I'm like, this is good advice, no matter what topic the straights and the normals are up in arms about is mind your business. It's yeah, not right. your, like, it's kind of like people wearing masks in a store right now. Like if right. someone wearing a mask in a store makes you that angry, you have issues. Sweet yeah. Go to like, therapy. Go to like, therapy. Mind your business. Right. And I'm with Somebody you. Somebody on, on like, TikTok said, stay in the business that pays you. 
Yes. And it's like, now there's sometimes where, yeah, it's as you were saying earlier, you know, like some people's problems or everyone's problems. Like when it's a child needs help, right? right? that's one thing. But when it's something like that grown adult is doing something that is not, you know, illegal, it's not immoral. It's just, right. It's cool. And they're doing it. It's not hurting anyone. Then Uh you need to mind your damn business. Exactly. I mean, and that's, you know, I have, you know, a a difficult history with addiction in my family. And so on the one hand, you know, if you're single living alone and you're drunk, that's not my business. Right. Uh, But when it starts spreading and, you know, as somebody who loves you, I might say, hey, I don't think this is good Mm -hmm. for you. Right. And, you know, as somebody who loves you, maybe don't. Yeah. But that's and that's right. different in the fact right. that when somebody does because we have a, a friend that is having alcoholism issues. Right. You know, at some point you may have to step in because what if right. they drive, you know, right. when the, right. when they're when what they're doing is putting other people at risk. Right. Then we'll have you, a conversation. Right. Right. But, the, but what we're talking about here. Right. Sexuality. Is, and right. And there's nothing you, self-destructive about right. being gay. And I had to learn that. Exactly. I had to learn that because I was not taught that, um, even though my godfather is a gay man. And I grew up with him. I've known him since birth. He was my mom's best friend from the age of 14. Um, so I grew up, again, my family was was okay with gay. They weren't okay with me yeah. being of gay. Not. Yes. Everyone no, else is fine. And then, of course, as I got into school and like with these, I didn't think gay was a bad thing because I wasn't brought up to think it was a bad thing. Yeah, but everyone else did. So I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, for self-preservation, we're going to keep that on lock. Yeah, and we're just going to just not fuck with anybody. <laughs> you know yeah. that that southern edu- public education exactly. That is best. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. So I'm just like, I'm just not going to say nothing. I and like that was like, who's your high school sweetheart? I was like, I didn't have one because yeah. Yeah. the person I had a crush on was female and I couldn't tell her because I didn't want to get my ass beat. Right. So, <laughs> we didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing how many people come out after high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like, I wish things were different. I wish you could have come was, out when exactly. you knew and when you were yourself. Exactly. And what's hilarious when it was safe for you too. Of course. Two of the children that I babysat grew up and came out and I was like my baby <laughs> and we you know we have several friends from college y'all yeah yeah we're the yeah. same situation and it's like some of them are like you can see the the weight's been lifted off their mm-hmm, shoulders yeah. and they're happy in their skin now and it's just like I wish yeah. that you had been able to be that way when we were in college together right because, and one know, of I, my dearest friends from high school we all knew <laughs> we knew I was, yeah. he didn't know, but I knew, um, because having grown up with a gay man, my gaydar <laughs> on point. Yeah. Um, so I was like, Oh, I won't say his name, but I was like, and so I had just graduated from college and he called me and he's like, yeah, my family disowned me. And he's like, and I was mm. like, Oh, sweet pea. I kind of always knew. And he's like, well, when were you going to say something? <laughs> I was like, what was I supposed to say? honey? <laughs> you had to come to this on your same with yeah. our, our dear friend from college. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. My fellow orange salesman, he knows who he is. <laughs> um, we love he, him dearly. We do. 
Um, his sauce is very hot. <laughs> Muy caliente. Muy caliente. Um, that is on a bathroom wall in Bishop Hall if you are currently on oh my this. God. Is it really? <laughs> I wrote it on one of the stalls. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Well, y'all, uh, let's, let's wrap this up. We're going to get some bad reviews about our segues again. I know. They're oh, talking yeah. about old Miss again. Fuck you. Yes. Um, if you would like to share a, a local or your pride story with us or cemetery yes, grave absolutely you can send us an email to cemetery at gmail.com or you can send us a dm message us like us we're on social media you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram at cemetery row pod yep. yes Woo-hoo. and so this pride month donate to your local lgbt um groups especially transgender youth they're going through a lot right now Mm -hmm. there's some state laws that are specifically targeting them that suck that suck a lot Mm -hmm. um so call your representatives check in with the transgender youth in your area they're the most likely to be homeless they're the most likely to be victims of crimes Mm -hmm. um so do what you can for that community especially um Mm -hmm. because the work that the people who came before us have done has been immense but it's not done um it's ongoing so um we're going to post links from you know each of our individual stories you know related uh charities you can donate to so please do um and please keep just love each other be good people um and do all that next week is going to be tennessee and i've got a brutal one in a cemetery so y'all get the fuck ready yes All right, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.